Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the gift of thy life-giving word. Place thy word within our hearts. May it take deep root and bear forth much fruit within our hearts and our lives and our ministries. May we always submit to the truth of thy holy word in our lives. For thy word has the power to set us free. And this we pray in that name which is above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. The good thing about our air conditioning units here is they are the most effective units I know. You turn them on and and it works within five minutes. It's incredible. The bad news is that they are as loud as a 747, and so you, no one can hear what's going on in the mass. So uh, uh, we'll have to figure out what to do, you know, with that. But um, how does the Holy Spirit use Scripture? in the church, in the church. The whole counsel of God, counsel meaning uh, S-E-L, okay, the whole counsel of God, the divine wisdom that God gives to us, the whole counsel of God concerning everything necessary for faith and life is provided in Holy Scripture. This is one thing that makes us very different from our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, where the teaching magisterium of the church is equal to the Holy Scripture, the tradition of the church. Or in Eastern Orthodoxy, where there is divine tradition in which there is Holy Scripture. For us, um, as both uh, patristic Catholics and also as members of the English Reformation, we uh, say clearly that Scripture... Uh, holds the prime position, the primacy of Holy Scripture as God's Word. We are under the authority of the Bible. Even our bishops are under the authority of God and the Bible. The mitre is supposed to represent the tongues of fire of the Holy Spirit that fell on Pentecost, so they're under the authority of God. And then the two ribbons that come down are, represent bookmarks for the Old and New Testament. So they are under the authority of God's Spirit and the Word of God, okay, the Holy Scriptures. So we hold the Catholic faith, but not under Father Michael McKinnon, not under Bishop so-and-so, not under the Bishop of Rome, but under the Bible as God's Word. So we're the Bible Catholic Church. And so we hold clearly uh, to that position And we believe that anything that's necessary for salvation is found in Holy Scripture. So, for example, the early church believed very clearly, actually, east and west, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, upon her, her death, and this would be leaning a little bit more towards the eastern understanding, upon her death, that Jesus came for her, and took her body and uh, as well as her soul uh, at the time of her death. Now, this is not contrary to Scripture. Who's the first in Scripture that we see this kind of thing happen? Enoch in Genesis, Enoch. And then who? Made a big production about it. 
had a big chariot fire and Elijah, right? Elijah was taken body and soul. And it's implied in Jude verse 9 that the Moses, uh, the body of Moses was also taken. So this, this idea that Mary, uh, the very vehicle through whom God himself entered the world, her womb being the ver- first tabernacle of God incarnate, it's certainly not unbiblical to think that perhaps the Lord came for her body as well. And this was something that was truly Catholic and that it was received by the whole church, East and West. However, for us, because it's not clearly biblical, we don't require it of anyone to believe as a matter of faith equal to, for example, the Trinity, or the atonement of Jesus, the incarnation, the resurrection, the virgin birth, the authority of Scripture. Does that make sense? So if Paulina okay, um, is sadly, uh, this is the um, uh, example I always use, so um, don't think you're being picked on. If she's hit by a bus, sadly, and I'm right there, I wasn't driving the bus, okay, but I'm right there and I jump out of the car and she has two minutes to live and she says to me, I'm not sure I believe that God himself in the person of Jesus came into this world and died for my sins, Father Michael, we have a problem. I got about two minutes for her to repent of that and to place her faith and trust in Jesus, right? If she says to me, "Um, Father Michael, I'm dying, you need to know, I'm not sure I believe that Mary, at the time of her death, that Jesus came and took her body. I'll be like, okay. Take it up with her when you get there. (laughs) Okay? Do you see the difference? And that's because for us, we're Bible Catholics. So it's not just that something is Catholic, received by the whole church East and West. It also has to be biblical. Okay? Biblical. Um, And so that's an example. And the Lutherans would agree with with us on this particular point in in, uh, Holy Scripture. It contains all things necessary for our salvation. So if something is not in the scripture, I can recommend it to you, but I can't require it of you as a matter of faith and salvation. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to everyone? So it's, not just, it's just a matter of um, salvation. So for us, for something to be revealed by God as a matter of salvation, yes, it's Catholic, received by the whole church East and West, but it's scriptural. And and we hold to that primacy of scripture. So when someone says to me, uh, what's the highest authority? For some people, it's their pastor. For some people, it's their convention, general convention, or the the, the general convention of the, uh, of the Southern Baptist, for example, or perhaps it's Billy Graham or some uh, great evangelist that they watch, or, or it's the Pope. What I say is, what's the highest authority for me? The Word of God. Well, God has revealed himself in his Word. Right? So the whole council, that is the wisdom, the divine wisdom of God concerning everything necessary for our faith and life is in the Holy Scripture. 
the church's doctrine, theological traditions, and liturgies spring from the faithful use of Holy Scripture. So when we are worshiping, for example, we are living out that faith revealed through the Word of God, and we are praying that faith. We are praying that faith. Um, someone said to me once, you know, why, why do we review history every Sunday with the Nicene Creed? You, you know, and, and I said, well, that's not how we should look at it. What we are is we are proclaiming anew the faith that God has revealed in Holy Scripture and received by his whole church, East and West. We're proclaiming truly the Catholic faith of God's holy word. That's one of my favorite statements. The Catholic faith of God's holy word. That's what we are proclaiming. Okay. Scripture is the final rule and norm for faith and practice in the church. Through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit protects the church and protects against heresy, guides godly living, and sustains reverent worship. And sustains reverent worship. Someone uh, once said, and I don't know where they got this or if it was their own, but um, the prayer book that we use as Anglicans is simply praying Holy Scripture on your knees. In other words, it's a living out of the Scriptures in God's presence through His Word and in His Holy Sacrament, which is biblical. Okay. All faithful theologians, pastors and teachers in the church, in fact, all Christians, must subordinate themselves to the authority of sacred Scripture. And here is the rub, right? Here's the rub in today's, in today's world. Uh, let's re review this quickly. I had a person um, once upon a time come to uh, my office and said, I could no longer be part of the church, the church I was serving. And I, so I asked him why, because like all members of my church family, I, you know, I love him. And he said, well, I disagree with the church's position on this, 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 and this. You can imagine what they were, all the issues of the day, right? I said, oh, okay. Do you believe in the Trinity still? He looked at me, yes, seemed almost offended. I said, that God became man in Jesus? Yes. That he died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead? You believe in the virgin birth? Yes, I believe all of that. Why? Because that's in the Bible. I said, so are the things that you're rejecting. You see, it's, we're, we're not called to simply accept what's in God's word that we're comfortable with or that makes sense to us. We are called to accept what God has revealed through his word. It can't be that certain things are his word and certain things aren't his word. Right? Um, and so... Uh, on the one hand, you have the, uh, I'm just going to pick on Anglicans since we're Anglicans. So you have the liberal Anglicans, right, who will say, I want to pick and choose what I will subject myself to. 
I'm going to admit there's some things in Holy Scripture that personally I struggle with, but I subject myself to it because it is the Word of God. And I figure I don't have to fully understand everything. I just have to submit myself to it. A great example of this is in John chapter 6. Jesus is teaching on his body and blood. And it says that many of them said, this is a hard saying, who can follow it? And they walked away from him. And Jesus was sad and said to Peter and the other apostles, will you too go away? And now I'm paraphrasing, but I think Peter's, what Peter's response is um, really implies this. You know, Lord, we're kind of like them that walked away. We don't fully get what you're, what you're saying here about being the bread of life, right? And that unless we eat of your flesh and drink of your blood, we don't have eternal life within us. We're kind of like those people that walked away. Here's the difference. We believe that your words are eternal life. So we don't have to fully understand them. But we need to subordinate ourselves to them and grow in our understanding in time. Does that make sense? So the difference was that some said, this is too much. This is a hard saying. We can't accept this. Um, I accepted the other stuff, but I'm not going to accept this. And so they walked away. And they no longer followed Jesus. They chose their own reason and their own understandings and those over the, of the world over the word of God in the flesh. Peter's response should be ours. Yeah, Lord, I don't get you all the time. You know, sometimes, Lord, the things you say make me scratch my head so much that I'm gonna, if I keep scratching, I'm going to look like Father Michael and Richard. But you have the words of eternal life. Where am I to go? Right. So we have to, if we believe that the scriptures are the word of God, we have to subject ourselves to them. Not just the parts we like or the parts that are palatable or the parts that make sense. The Bible is not a buffet where you take what you want and leave what you want. It is the word of God. Okay. And so the liberal Anglicans would say, I can agree to some things, but not to others. They're not subjecting themselves. I can relate to that a bit. I, I find it hard sometimes. Now some of the extreme Catholic Anglicans, right, they will uh, sometimes embrace things that are truly um, not necessary for salvation and require them for salvation because they're Catholic, right? But they're not necessarily biblical. And sometimes they get caught up in the, um, the looks of worship rather than understanding that worship is a living out of God's revelation, and a participation in that story, God's story of salvation.
some of the more charismatic people, and now remember, I'm only talking extremes here, will sometimes believe that what God, what they believe God has revealed to them personally trumps what is clearly biblical and Catholic. Well, God has revealed this to me. Well, what does St. Paul say? If an angel from heaven or even me myself were to give you a different gospel, do not believe it, right? We believe what we have received. Um, and, and, of course, um, some of the more evangelical uh, Anglicans, in knee-jerk reaction to their fear of things Catholic, have left out, uh, or at least have not fully embraced some of the wonderful gifts that God has given us, right? So, how do we avoid these things? Well, we, we have to be Bible Catholics. Give by, uh, the Bible the place of primacy, and then hold the ancient Catholic faith under that authority. But in our own personal lives, we have to submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible as God's word even when we are uncomfortable with it, right? Even when we are uncomfortable with it. I'll give you kind of a fun example just because, um, you know, it's easier <laughs> than uh, revealing some of my deeper struggles. But, you know, I, most Western Christians, and I'm generalizing now, tend to emphasize the humanity of Jesus at the expense of his divinity somewhat. And Eastern Christians, and again, this is a generalization, tend to emphasize the divinity of Jesus sometimes at the expense of his humanity. And of course, the, the Orthodox position uh, is the biblical one, that he is one person, fully God, fully man, apart from sin, right? And we're not supposed to divide nor confuse um, those two natures of our Lord. But for some reason, even though I grew up in the West, I had an Eastern mindset, for me, Jesus is God. God is Jesus. And I guess I believed in some sense that he was human. But I guess in, just in my own heart, um, I believed kind of that he became human and his humanity was kind of just absorbed in some, some sense into his divine being. Well, I later came across uh, the fourth ecumenical council called the Council of Chalcedon or Chalcedon in 481, I believe. Maybe 451. 451 or 481. And uh, I was reading and I found out that, that uh, my view was actually an ancient heresy known as monophysitism where the humanity of Jesus is kind of absorbed or lost uh, within uh, the, the, the divinity of Jesus. And that actually we had to uphold the, the Catholic faith was this, which was a fuller understanding of what the Bible reveals, that there's one person of Jesus Christ who is fully God and fully human apart from sin. And those two natures neither being confused to the point where you lose the distinction of either, ah, see, that's what I was doing, or divided to the point where you lose the oneness of the person. 
So I said, oh boy, I'm an unintentional heretic. So what did I do? I didn't say, well, monophysitism makes more sense to me. It's still, by the way, my favorite heresy, monophysitism. If I had to choose a heresy, I, I would choose monophysitism. Yeah, well, I do like donuts. Someone said, is it donutism? I do like donuts, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, in, in, in actuality, I'm far too much of a sinner to be a donutist. Donatists believe that you had to be perfectly pure and that was it, you know. Um, so I had to submit myself to, yes, what was Catholic, and of course to what was biblical. Biblical, right? And so this should be true of the Catholic-minded Anglican, the evangelical-minded Anglican, the charismatic-minded Anglican, and the liberal Anglican. If we all submitted ourselves to what God has revealed firstly through his scripture, and then what was received as biblical by the whole church east and west, then we are submitting to the authority of God and his word. So before we move on, any questions about that? Uh, Deacon Perveen. Yeah. And then the ultimate position is it's not up to you to decide who's a Christian in the first place. Yeah. God's problem. Yeah. So, how, how, but, but how do you know who's a Christian? I'm not concerned with how do, you, how do I know who's a Christian. I'm more concerned with how do I answer someone who says, oh, so you don't consider me a Christian? Mm hmm. And how, how would you? You know, it is very difficult because we live in a day and age where if you hold to any firm position, people are going to be offended. Um, I try to point out to people all the time, just because I disagree with you or you disagree with me doesn't mean I'm judging you or that you're judging me. It means we disagree. Okay. Um, and uh, so, you know, this, this, is, this is a difficult thing. I have a, a friend of mine. I've grown to truly respect him. Uh, he has been very supportive of my ministry here over 14 years. Uh, and he's a very active Christian scientist. Um, and he'll say to me, uh, well, uh, we're both Christians. And I kind of look with him with a, uh, upon him with a little smile and a little gleam in my eye. And then he says, but you don't believe that. No, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, you know, 
for, for, mul for multiple reasons. Um, and same thing with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. Uh, these are not Christian traditions or denominations. In the early church, um, Christians were uh, persons who believed in Christ, professed him, trusting in him and not themselves for their salvation, and who were baptized. And then were attempting to grow ever more fully into who they are, truly accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord, but living that out and growing in that. Um, and if you were an infant, you were uh, expected to be covered by the, the, the faith of the community and to grow up always understanding it a little bit more fully uh, and so that you would grow up in that. Sadly, uh, in the medieval church, baptism almost became magical. If we could just baptize you, then you're saved. You have a ticket to ride. Uh, you, know, you know the Beatles song, I got a ticket to ride, right? Uh, that became baptism. And there wasn't much talk about the other side of it, which is faith. So baptism and faith, arguing over which side makes you a Christian, faith and baptism, to me, is like arguing over which side of a quarter is worth 25 cents, right? Is it, if you strip away the tails, is the heads worth 25 cents? If you strip away the head, right? You need both. It's okay, I know Monica kept you. Right? So faith and baptism went together. And if you were a child, you would be covered in the faith of the covenanted community and grow up understanding this ever more fully. And if you were an adult, you would continue in discipleship. That is to grow in your faith, understanding it ever more fully. Like Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And yet, we believe that Peter continued to grow in that more fully. Unfortunately, baptism began to get separated from faith and where it became almost magical. You know, you're baptized, you're saved, that's it. And so the reformers, continental reformers, English reformers, um, stressed the role of faith in salvation. Unfortunately, in knee-jerk reaction against some of the abuses of the sacrament of baptism becoming almost magical, they ended up throwing out uh, the bathwater, uh, you know, and really losing a theology, a biblical Catholic theology of baptism and emphasized faith. And then they emphasized it so much that they exchanged one magic moment, you have been baptized, for another, I profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, from my heart with my lips, therefore I'm saved, and I'm saved forever, right? And so they just had now uh, exchanged one for, for the other. Um, I, I believe a healthier understanding would be that one is a Christian by faith and baptism. Um, I like the clarification in, in Mark chapter 16, he who believes and is baptized is saved. Right. 
However, baptism is not magical because the next verse goes on to say, however, he who does not believe is condemned. So in other words, faith gives, uh, makes the grace bestowed in baptism alive and a saving grace within you, right? Um, uh, more than a seed that's been planted within, within you. Um, so if someone is, has faith and trust, and I would say the minimum would be the Apostles' Creed. You know, they believe in the Trinity, they believe in the Incarnation, they believe in the virgin birth, death, and resurrection of Christ, um, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, etc., these things, and understand that the Bible is his word, that the rest of it is growing in their understanding at, at that point. Um, some people will say, well, that's ridiculous. No, it's just uh, if you profess Jesus as Lord. Well, again, the Jehovah's Witnesses can profess him as Lord, but they don't believe he is God. The Mormons profess him as Lord, and they believe he is a God. So you need something a little bit beyond just that profession. So that's where we look to the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and to discipleship. And this is where it comes to, this is where some evangelicals, I believe, misunderstand, in that part of it is receiving the faith of the whole within us personally. But it's not an individual thing. We're receiving the faith that God has revealed through his word and through uh, and that which is truly Catholic into our hearts personally. And then we grow in our understanding so when we say we believe or we have faith, it's the faith that God has revealed. It's the faith of God. And then we grow in our understanding the best we can. They will often confuse it with almost an intellectual faith, what they believe. So a person can say, whatever God has revealed in his word and through the Catholic Church regarding the Trinity is the faith I receive in my heart, I may not fully understand it or even understand it correctly, but I'm going to try to grow in that the best I can. But the faith we put on is Christ's. See, it's Christ's faith. It's Christ's righteousness. It's Christ's um, worthiness that we wrap ourselves in. And But we often think, um, well... Like when a child receives, for example, someone will say, well, he doesn't understand or she doesn't understand. And they mean some basic level intellectually of, but I think a child understands in the real definition of faith. That is, they accept that God has revealed this and they're, they've clothed themselves in that, you know, um, and 
they grow up understanding that a little bit more fully. So the faith is the faith of Christ, not our own individual faith, you know. But we are called to receive what God has revealed through his word and received by the whole church, East and West, that which is Catholic, within our hearts personally. And that's what we're doing right now. But unfortunately, um, we live in a day and age where a lot of people think that discipleship, you go to church, and, but discipleship is, oh, that's secondary, or I was confirmed. I mean, so we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten here. So we have, um, we have over 10% of the congregation that worships on a given Sunday here. So you could say that's pretty good, right? Uh, but we really should have um, almost every adult here, right? Uh, Sunday should be worship and discipleship. In one parish, I had something called one plus one plus one. I called it the Trinity, Trinitarian formula. The first one was worship and discipleship on the Lord's Day. So you'd come to worship the Lord and you would stay for adult or children's education. That was number one. The second number one was, uh, the second one was something during the week. Something during the week. Might be a Bible study. It might be um, you know, just, just something uh, during the week that would help you grow. And it could even be that you're committed to morning and evening prayer every day at home because of your work schedule and so forth. Or, but something that's your other one to nourish you. And then the last one was some way of living the first two out. So some type of ministry. And for those who work 90 hours a week, that might be a ministry on a Sunday, like being a lector or a choir member or something like that, right? Um, uh, for others, however, it might be June's table, feeding the hungry, or doing prayer walks, or being in the healing ministry, or, you know, on and on. But I always thought that that was a good guideline, you know, the one plus one plus one to being involved in, in helping, making sure we grow in discipleship as well. Discipleship is important. I think most people think that they graduated, you know. Other questions? Uh, Rob, do you still remember? You were starting when Deacon Praveen asked something. Yeah. Yeah. And we went to Episcopal Church. It's called um, St. Paul's Within the Walls. Within the Walls, yeah. And Lois was even on the vestry that while. And after we've been there, I think about two years, we finally walked away along with um, a, a, a lot of Nigerians. We have a we were very close friends with a lot of Nigerians there. We all walked away and ended up in a Baptist church. Yeah. Um, because of liberal teaching? Because of, yeah, yeah, basically because of liberal teaching. Yeah. It just didn't make sense. 
five committed Anglicans, Episcopalians walking out of the church and walking into a Baptist church. Yeah. I mean, that's astounding. I bet the Baptists were surprised, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the pastor was a Southern Baptist. And when these charismatic Anglicans walked into his church, he didn't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, he was just, he was dumbfounded. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but and I think that's important. You know, in the early church, the church throughout the world, there was there's one church, and it was called the Catholic Church, not meaning Rome, right? And Christians were members of the Catholic Church. Unfortunately, the word got associated as an abbreviation of the word Rome, the term Roman Catholic. And so Luther changed it to Christian. I'm a Christian and we belong to the Christian church. And that's caused the confusion ever since. But we are Christians because we belong to the universal church of Christ, the one church, the Catholic church, the historic church of Christ. Um, and so it's not right to say I was baptized an Episcopalian or a Presbyterian or a Roman Catholic or an Anglican or, or whatever. We are baptized into Christ and into the one church, right, which has the one canon of Scripture, the one creedal faith, the one sacramental life, and the one ordained ministry, a bishop, priest, and deacon. That's the historic Catholic Church to which we belong as Christian members, right? But there's a lot of misunderstanding about that because of the term being associated with Rome alone, you know, and so, you know, people say, um, you know, are you a Christian? Yes. What church do you belong to? I belong to the Catholic Church in the Anglican tradition, which means, um, and they say, well, I don't belong to that church. And, well, you probably do, <laughs> right? There's only one church to be baptized into. You may not be living out your, your faith, your worship, your doctrine within the fullness of that church, Right? Um, but you, you belong, there's only one church to belong to. So I'm, you know, very clear that, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a Catholic, but I'm a Bible Catholic. I stand under the authority. In fact, let me rephrase that. I kneel under the authority of the Bible as God's word. Yeah. Uh, they were pretty young. They were, what, eight or ten or something like that. And, and uh, they were, they went to, um, uh, what do they call it, the, the uh, training for confirmation? Yes. And both of them came out of there saying, I don't want to be confirmed in this church. Mm. Now, that is God speaking to pretty clearly to two children mm -hmm. who couldn't have had any of this, this kind of knowledge. They just knew that what they were being taught um, was wrong. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I wanted to mention that. And, and yeah. neither one of them, um, when we came back to the States, neither one of them wanted to go back to an Episcopal church, yeah. which is kind of too bad. Yeah, yeah. They're both believers. Right, amen. Amen. It is. There's something wonderful and something sad about that story. Yeah.
So the whole counsel of God concerning everything necessary for our life, for our, our salvation, for our faith, is provided in the Holy Scripture. The church's doctrine, theological traditions, and liturgies spring from the faith, from the faithful use of Holy Scripture. Scripture is the final rule and norm for faith and practice in the church. Through scriptures, the Holy Spirit protects the church, protects against heresy, guides godly living, and sustains reverent worship. And there's a power in God's word. There's a power in God's word. In fact, I'm going to say this now um, because we, we're going to move from Holy Scripture to the next topic next time we have this, which is not next week. Is that right? You can't be here to film it, so we have to skip a week. Um, but this is that many years ago, I grew up uh, in, a, in a home, in a Roman Catholic home, but I guess which is, and I'm generalizing now again, what was unusual was that my parents um, read the scriptures with me um, regularly, if not daily. Um, I would read the Bible with them, you know, get into bed and we'd read the Bible, you know, all the time. So I grew up Again, I'm stereotyping Roman Catholics as, you know, there's, you know, not being as biblical, right? You go to many Roman Catholic churches, they don't have a Bible study, for example, right? Um, and so, but I grew up, that wasn't my experience. I grew up, the Bible was very, very important. And it was important for knowing about God. It was important for knowing about Jesus. It was important to know about his death on the cross and his resurrection and Pentecost, and his second coming, okay? And it was important regarding what was right and what was wrong. So I grew up with a, with a pretty high view of Holy Scripture. But then later in my life, as I started hanging out with some non-Roman Catholics, um, I came across these crazy people called evangelicals. And evangelicals believe something even more about the Scripture, they believed there was a power, a grace in God's word. That if one were, by the grace of God, to open their heart to it, that there was, if you were in bondage, there was a grace in Holy Scripture to set you free. If you were in temptation, there was a grace to deliver you. If you were in sin, there was a grace to forgive you. If you were lost, there was a grace to be found. So you, and one day it dawned on me that as high of a view of Holy Scripture that I had, these people had something slightly more, and now they wouldn't have articulated it this way, but what they understood, though they wouldn't have used this terminology, is that the Bible was sacramental. The Holy Scriptures convey God's presence, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's healing, God's love. And so there is a power in the Word of God that has as its source God himself. There is a grace within the word of God. So I realized, ah, for them, the Bible's sacramental. Now, they wouldn't use that terminology because that was too Catholic for them, right? But they, that's what they were articulating. And that's why, to this day, I'm an Anglican. Because for me, uh, Orthodox Anglicanism is 
the Catholic Church, under the authority of the Bible as God's word, but it understands the sacramental grace of the word of God, as well as Holy Communion and baptism and so forth, right? And so that really made a huge impact in my life for me. All of a sudden, Scripture took on, I, I kind of passed through the wardrobe, so to speak. I thought it was pretty cool as a wardrobe. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I was like, does everyone know what I'm talking about? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis? I mean, I thought it was pretty cool. The Bible was, I, I had a pretty high view. I thought the wardrobe was pretty cool. But, that, but understanding what they were trying to say enabled me to enter even more deeply. What often saddens me is that a knee-jerk reaction against anything that seems Roman, that there's many things right there in their own Narnia, within the scriptures, that they reject because it seems to them just to be too Roman. And so they reject it, even though it's right there, right? You know, I had a, a friend of mine uh, who said to me, well, you know, Michael, I have a great respect for the sacrament, meaning the sacrament of Christ's body and blood. He said, I just emphasize the scriptures, and unlike you, I have a low view of the sacrament. And I said, well, with respect, why? Why would you ever have a low view of something that God has given you? And I, and I thought about when my father had died and the, the, uh, within moments after his death, I, I actually discovered, and this is a beautiful story I don't have time to tell you now, but something that he had given me years and years and years earlier that I had never known, and I discovered it just a few minutes after he had died. It was as if it was for that moment. And it wasn't like, open this up when I die. I mean, but just, I discovered it. Well, I guess I'll tell you what it, quickly. My father, when I was one year old, uh, we were uh, up in Maine at Pemaquid Point Lighthouse, and uh, there was a picture of my dad holding me, and I'm one. And it was always my favorite picture, and he gave it to me in a, in a frame years and years and years and years and years ago. And uh, so I had it in this frame, and it was always on my dresser wherever I went, Labrador, Newfoundland, Wisconsin, Illinois, wherever I was. It was always on my dresser. And when I got the call that he had died, I went into my bedroom, and I was holding on to that picture in the frame, just as he had given me crying and holding on to it. And for some reason, I felt compelled that holding that picture for the first time in the frame wasn't enough, that somehow I needed to just hold the picture. So I took the picture for the first time in decades. I had never done this, actually. I took the picture out of the frame that my father had put it in. I had never done that before. And inside was a note from my dad. And I felt like it was right, and it said, Michael, my son, whatever you do in life, know that I'm proud of you, but walk with God. Love, Daddy. Do you think I have a low view of that gift? Of course not. It's even more so a sacred treasure to me now. If Jesus has given us the gift of the sacrament of his body and blood, as the scriptures proclaim, 
Why would we ever have a low view of it? Why would anyone have a low view of the Bible? Or the sacraments? Or the creeds? Or even the ordained ministry? Not that the person themselves are holy. But the office is. It has a great dignity because the priesthood is found in Christ. So I don't understand anymore. The Reformation was a long time ago now. I think it happened before I was born. Uh, right? I think it's time for us to have a high view of anything that God has given us that is biblical and Catholic. If it meets that criteria, high view. Now I'm going to get emails, let me tell you. <laughs> when this gets published, <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of emails. But I, don't, I just don't understand it to me. I, I feel like, we, you know how like you meet certain people that are still fighting the Civil War, you know, in the States, right? Ah, you Yankee, oh, you rebel, right? You're still fighting the Civil War. Well, I think there's people still fighting the Reformation, right? Um, to me, what is patristic, that is Catholic, that is under the authority of the Bible, if it comes from God, has been revealed by God, have a high view of it, period. Have a high view of it. Um, and so I have a high view of Scripture, and it got even higher when I realized that what they were talking about was a sacramental understanding of the Bible as God's Word, that there was a grace given. Changed everything for me regarding the Bible. Okay. Everyone must subordinate themselves to the authority of sacred Scripture. That, that's what it comes down to, folks. We don't have to like it. We don't have to be comfortable with it. We can struggle with it. But if it's clearly been revealed by God through his word and received by the whole church, East and West, we have to submit to it. Otherwise, what we're saying is that we are the judge of what's right and what's wrong in this world and what's applicable to me and what isn't. The Holy Spirit leads all to be witnesses, disciples, and confessors of Scripture. Paul urged Christian leaders, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So you see there's the tradition of the church there, what they have spoken uh, by word, and then there's the Scripture by letter. But we are to hold to what the church has received that is biblical. Okay? As necessary for salvation. Then there are things that are permissible by Scripture. It's okay for us to personally believe um, some things, right? And to do other things, right? The Scriptures are to be read systematically and preached at least weekly in the church. The Holy Spirit works through the Word to confirm faith, guide life, and sanctify believers. You know what that sounds like to me? Sacrament. A sacrament. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. Now, I'm not saying that this is, is, is right necessarily, but it sure is interesting. It was never received by the whole church east and west. So, um, but there, there's a, um, uh, a rather small... Uh, 
tradition of the greater Catholic Church known as the Polish National Catholic Church. It's not under um, Rome. And um, we actually, as a province, have very good dialogue with them. And at one time, the Episcopal Church was in full communion with them until it started to go that way. Um, or that way. <laughs> um, and the Polish National Catholic Church, they, they list the seven sacraments, uh, but they combine um, confirmation with baptism, so that left them with six. So their, their leader, so to speak, when the church was being founded in the late 1800s, I believe, uh, listed the word of God among the seven sacraments. Now, that hasn't been received by the whole church, East and West, but I find it very interesting, and I always think about it when I'm talking about... Uh, now, I don't think it's a sacrament in and of itself. I think it's joined to everything we do, right? It's joined to everything we do. And so it's the kind of the... the if you're going to go and give Holy Communion to someone who is sick, the Scripture should be part of that. Right? If you're anointing someone, the Scripture should be part of that. The Scripture should always be part of it. So we have three minutes. Any last questions regarding Holy Scripture or what I mean by Holy Scripture being sacramental or the difference between what is necessary for us to believe? Uh, I remember in my church growing up, they had a great course. I wish I could go back in time and take it and tweak it in an Anglican way and teach it here. Uh, but I, I was a kid when it was being taught, so I don't remember. But it was call, called um, Must Should Could. What, what a uh, Christian must believe, should believe, and could believe. And it was pretty interesting kind of differentiating those, those things, right? Anyway, any, any questions? Everyone has a high view of things? If God has given it to you, have a high view of it, Right? Have a high view. You know, I got pictures in my office at home that Sarah and Rebecca gave to me. Little drawings that most of which they're embarrassed by now, but they're up in my office next to pictures of uh, Elvis and Captain Kirk and <laughs> the doors. <laughs> but anyway, why do you think they're there? Because they gave them to me. So I have a high view of them because they gave those pictures to me. Right? I have a drawer full of cards that Christine has given to me over the past 17 years because Christine gave them to me. Right? Of course, I tell her what to say in the card. You're the most wonderful husband. She's like, okay. Yeah. So if the scriptures are of God and if the sacraments are of God and if the, the faith that we profess in the creeds are of God and if... The, the ordained ministry is of God. Why would we have a low view of them? 